0: Worship of God is something that is not easily done. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, in our day, there are a lot of people who worship, but they don't know who it is they worship. They worship some idea of their God, but they don't know the living God. And so the Psalms are given that you and I might know the living God. Not the God we meet on Sunday morning at ten thirty. The living God who is with us throughout our days, walking and I guess going before us and behind us and beside us, the God who created the world. There, there are two kinds of theories that uh, deal with the history of humanity, that humanity is basically an aimless wandering of, of uh, something that has accidentally come into the world through the eons of, of the ages. Or there is the idea that there is a being called God who created us from the beginning. And you hear this kind of thinking as you read in our public square magazine articles and places where people talk about not just God, but they talk about their life in light of what they believe. Well, let me give you an example this morning. As as I come to you, I, I come with an article from Insider Business, uh, a, a, a journalist by the name of Mariana Samo. She wrote in a journal or in an article in the magazine on April the 5th, and she was talking specifically about taking credit for things. Uh, have you ever had someone give you credit for doing something you've never done? You ever had that done? Uh, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I, some of you have told me in the last weeks you know, you, that you have, so you've been so blessed by God through the ministry of this church as I have had the privilege of preaching in this church. Well, let me tell you, I would love to think I am that great. But I know better. To God be the glory. But the most amazing thing is in our culture. Maria writes an article about this. She says, as quoting a woman named Vivian Shiler, who is the chief digital officer of NBC News. Vivian writes, and she says, it's okay sometimes to take credit for things you don't do because you won't always get the credit for the things you do do. This may sound presumptuous, but let's be honest. Inevitably, at some point in your career, you're going to work incredibly hard and get zero credit for it. But at some point, karma comes back around and you'll be praised for something you had nothing to do with. So says Vivian Schuyler. Uh, Chief Digital, Digital Officer for NBC News. Maria Simone goes on to write in her article about this quote. She says this, Shiler knows that more than often than not, the good deeds we perform at work will go unnoticed. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take credit for a project you had nothing to do with. What Shiler argues is that the time will come when you work on something that you didn't necessarily pour your heart and soul into but it ends up being precisely the project you get the most credit for. Instead of stepping up and saying you had nothing to do with it, take full advantage of the fact that your coworkers are singing your praises. And if they didn't notice the fruits of your labor when you really did count, take this as an opportunity to finally be recognized for your hard work. It's often the unglamorous behind-the-scenes work that has the most impact, even when no one notices or when it gets attributed to others. The point is this. We are all going to be overpraised and we're all going to be underpraised. But the key is to buckle your seat belt and keep on. So how do you avoid getting caught up in the roller coaster ride of career? Simple. Celebrate a big moment and move on because we all know what's waiting for us on the other side. The other side of what? Now in that article... What we are being told is it's okay to give credit to those who don't deserve it, and it's okay to receive praise from others when we obviously had nothing to do with it. What we read this morning in the Psalms is a revelation of how we are to worship God in always giving him his credit, his due, his praise. And the idolatry of our hearts is that we don't. Let me show you this in the scriptures this morning. As we look at this psalm, turn if you don't have your Bible open to Psalm 29 and you're gonna see as you worship God there are three things that David found out about the worship of God that is so important. We are not worshiping an idea, we're worshiping a person, a God who has revealed himself through his people to us through his word and ultimately has revealed himself completely and utterly through Jesus Christ. We're going to find out through this psalm that the call is to praise God and why that's important. Secondly, that the praise that we have of the Lord is the praise of recognizing his voice as opposed to other voices that compete in our life. And then finally, there is a call to declare that God is the sovereign ruler of not just our life but of this world. Those three things are extremely important. Let's break it down and look at it very very clearly. The first is, if you look in verses 1 and 2, you find these scriptures that really talk about the fact that we are to do something in worship. I know that many of you have come here this morning with the anticipation of receiving something, but I want you to know that God's expectation of you is that you will not just sit there passively while we are worshiping here, that you are actively doing something not for yourself but for God. And the psalmist writes it in this way. He says, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. In other words, as we come into this place to worship, we're to raise our voices and to acknowledge that God is the one who supplies strength and glory of his life in us. Let me go a little deeper with this. When you begin to think of your praise of God, we don't come to praise God to feel good about ourselves. We don't come to hear music that meets my tastes. We don't come in here to pray prayers that will somehow manipulate God into doing our will. We come into this place to worship God and acknowledge, ascribe to Him what is His glory his strength, his power at work in us. Now that's so important in worship because we are seeing the worship wars in our day where worship is being dumbed down. What do I mean by that? It's about how I feel. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you ascribe to God. It is about how you acknowledge that God is the one to be worshiped. God is the one to be acknowledged in this world, in your life, in the things that are happening in your days. It's simply quite amazing, isn't it? When you look at this word, ascribe to the Lord, that Hebrew word literally means to give. And we know this in our culture. If I said, hey, why don't you give it up to Richard Woods for playing that flute? Or to Leanne for singing. What would you do? Let's give it up for them. What would you do? Yeah, there it is. You would clap, wouldn't you? Yeah, you're ascribing something to them. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. Or at least that's what David discovered that true worship is about. It's about acknowledging God. In fact, when you look at this passage, the way in which it is written in the Hebrew... We are to worship God in this way, ascribing, acknowledging his glory and strength. And what that means is to acknowledge that only the Lord gives us life. Only the Lord provides for us. Only the Lord preserves me. And the moment I give anyone else credit, what am I doing? I'm I'm being an idolater. I'm giving others what God deserves—the praise of my lips, the adoration of my heart, the love that should flow from me to Him—and I bestow on others. Hmm. The second thing about the sermon that really, is, or about the psalm that's really quite powerful in about in teaching us about worship. Is this business about the voice of the Lord? At first, that sounds almost kind of uh, uh, weird, doesn't it? The voice of the Lord. Um, I, I remember when I was a youth youth uh, youth group when I was in high school, uh, there was this really pretty girl that came to our church, and, and she uh, her name was Virginia, and she was just just wonderful. Everybody liked Virginia. And one particular Sunday, this guy came who was just well, let's just say he was. Follically challenged, he was physically challenged, and he, he did not fit what would be the Rock Hudson category of good looks. And, and as he came to the meeting, he was so into the Lord. He was so emotionally wanting Jesus in his life. When he saw Virginia, he spiritualized that moment of attraction, and he walked up to Virginia after the meeting, and he said, Virginia, God told me during this hour that you're supposed to marry me and she broke down in tears and ran out of the room. And one of her friends went and chased after her and said, what's the matter, Virginia? She said, God is going to make me marry this man. I don't even like him. And she said, well, wait a minute, Virginia, did did God tell you that you were supposed to marry him? And she goes, no. He said, well, don't you think he should tell you too? she suddenly sparked up and realized maybe he wasn't listening to God. I want you to know when we have people come on TV and say, God is telling me, be careful. Why? Because we believe that God speaks through his word and that though someone may have a gift of the knowledge that God wants someone to have, in other words, you be impressed that I need to tell something that God loves them, or that God wants them to trust Him—that's a word of knowledge from the Spirit of God. That word should never violate what God says. I, I've talked to men who tell me constantly, "Well, you know, I want you to know it must have been God's will that that person came into my life, so I left my wife and her five and our five children because God said so." That's not the voice of the Lord. I've talked to men who've said, well, you know, I was walking down the street and I, I suddenly realized that the lottery was going to be having the greatest reward. Did you all know this this past week? There was a lottery that had that more money was available for the lottery. Chances of you winning it were astronomical. One person won it. But I bet you everything that there were a lot of people who were walking down the street this past week who said, I hear the voice of the Lord saying, go buy a lottery ticket. I told my wife that. I said, I think the Lord is calling me to buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) Is that the voice of the Lord? No, the the word the word of the Lord says, do not gamble. We have lost this whole knowledge of what God has said. Do you all realize that those ideas that are now promulgated as normal in our society are not from God. There are voices that surround you constantly that bid you to satisfy your flesh in accordance with the flesh desires. Satisfy the longings of your eyes, the covening of your eyes with whatever you see you want. There are longings that we have that God says no, 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 because the moment we chase after those things we We make them our God. No, we we are to remind ourselves that every good and perfect gift we have comes from God. But I'm not like that, are you? I very easily ascribe the good things to other people or to my job or to the circumstances of my life without realizing no. No. There's nothing that comes into my life that hasn't come into my life through the nailed, scarred hands of Jesus. You mean even my sickness? Yes. If you truly believe that God is at work, then he knows when you have cancer. He knows when you have a pain you can't get rid of. He knows when you have frustrations in your marriage. He knows when you are at your wit's end on how to raise your children. He knows and the, ans- and the answers he has for you are found in his word. And the biggest word he says is trust and obey. Did you hear what we spoke this morning concerning what we believe? That we are to completely trust in God. Why? Because He's completely wise. He's completely holy. Did you hear those words? It it was really quite beautiful when we talk about what is God. He is unchangeable. He's all sufficient. He's eternal. He's beyond our understanding. He's present everywhere. He's almighty. He knows everything. Completely wise, completely holy, completely just, completely merciful, gracious, patient, and overflowing with goodness and truth. And because of that, we know this about God. Not because we look at the trees and the rocks and get some idea of who God is. is because he has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and now speaks to us about this Lord and Savior through the Holy Spirit. The Father beget the Son, the Son beget the Spirit. This is how God speaks. And seven times the psalmist cries out, The voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord does what? It is powerful and majestic. How is it powerful and majestic? How is this voice of God overwhelming? Well, please notice the first place he says that in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. And and there have been many who have looked at this psalm and wondered, is God through David, giving this song because of the tendency of idolatry in those days. You see, there was a, a idol called Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal. And it was a god that people, uh, I should say an idol, that those people worshipped, that they believed that the world was tied to this god, small g, idol, that would provide rain and sunshine and replenish the earth, through his great power? Or is the, is the psalmist really referring back to Genesis 1, when the God formed the world and created the waters? However you understand this, the importance of the passage speaks loudly that the voice of the Lord is not seen in the waters that are created by him, but it is the glory of the God who's created them. I remember sitting out on the beach on Sunset Beach. A storm came up. We could see it coming across the horizon. As it was coming toward the coast, the dark clouds were gathering. And as we were watching this massive storm come in, we were amazed at the beauty and yet the terrifying danger that was coming. And then we saw it, the lightning that struck from the clouds to the water. And we were like, wow. Wouldn't it be silly to start worshiping the lightning or the waters? No, no, no. We would ascribe that our God is greater than anything we can imagine because he created both the lightning and the water. He is glorious, majestic, powerful. The second is, is he, he is the voice of, that is not only majestic and powerful, but please notice the imagery there, he breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Well, what what is that about? Well, if you go back to verse 4 and 5, you'll know that the the way in which the Bible can be understood in the Old Testament is you really have to understand the land of Israel. You really have to have a Bible map. I I had an Old Testament professor Cindy and I went to Israel on a tour with The very first year that we were here in 1995, his name was Gary Pratico. We called him the Velvet Hammer. Do you know why? By the way, do you know what a Velvet Hammer is? It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? He taught us Hebrew. And as he would teach Hebrew, he would ask questions to see if you were catching on to how you, you understood the Hebrew language. And so he would say, Mr. Howard, can you tell me the meaning of this word? And he would pronounce it, and I would go, and give him an answer, and he would go, mmm, no, not quite, but you felt crushed <laughs> the way he said it. Well, we went with Gary to Israel, and in Israel we began to see the truth that that God revealed himself to these Jews in such ways that they would see everything around them that they took in daily and they would have lessons on how to love God from their experience each day. The cedars of Lebanon were these massive cedar trees that grew like skyscrapers. And they were huge and strong and immovable and when you would go and look at these trees you would stand there in awe the only thing I can compare it to is a young child I remember going with my parents to the east coast and seeing seeing the massive redwood trees in California have you ever seen those if you haven't, you need to. You, you go and see these massive trees and they're just gigantic and you're in awe that, that these trees are so powerful and so big. Wouldn't it be a mistake to carve an idol out of the tree and worship it? That's the human tendency, isn't it? But the psalmist says, no, no, the voice of the Lord breaks I like to think of it like a pencil the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon how does he do it he does it with his voice you see the the point of the psalmist as we sing this song is to remember that this God we worship is greater than anything we see any barrier that we face any strength or stronghold that would carry us away from the living God, God is greater than these things because he is able to break them and to rescue us from them. Here's the way he paints it. It's it's there in verse 5. When the calves hear the sound of those breaking, they skip. You have to be a, a... You have to be a cow owner to understand this cows are very docile they they just chew cud all day they reach down and get gas and they just sit there and chew and chew and chew not very much excitement that goes around being around cows not very much at all but when something breaks or something cracks or something makes a loud noise they they're like this and if you're not careful and you're standing next to one you'll get run over That's when he talks about the young ox. An ox would be a huge animal. You would literally tear the ground up with a plow behind an ox. That's how powerful they are. But when God's voice speaks, these powerful animals quake. This is our God. goes on to verse, say in verse 6 that when you look at the, the surrounding areas and in those days and in that place you would see immovable mountains. He calls them the Syrians, or you could say Mount Hermon. I remember we're going out to Seattle Washington for a family reunion and there's a huge huge mountain in Seattle. Do you know what it is? Which one is it? Oh you've been there. When you look at that mountain, you think, good Lord, there is nothing that ever is going to change or move that mountain. And the psalmist gives that imagery there of Mount Hermon. And he says, when God speaks, Mount Hermon shakes. This is our God. This is who we believe in. He strikes with the flash of lightning. He moves deserts. He twists oak trees and strips forest bare. He doesn't literally do that. But the power of his voice is greater than those things. The majestic Word of God. Do you know the greatest miracle that the Word of God does? It raises we who are dead in our sin and separated from him, alienated by the tremendous gulf we have created in our sin, he raises us from that deadness into a new life through Jesus Christ so that for the first time we know the living God as well as knowing our sinfulness, and our inability to save ourselves. The glory of our God. And it's for that reason in verse 9. Listen to that verse. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Mm-hmm. All the people. What do they do? They twiddle their thumbs. <laughs> All the people sit in worship and they go. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> no. No. What do they do? Glory. Glory. Glory! Does that frighten you when I do that? What, what do you all think this is? This, this hour of worship we've had here, what do you think this is? Do you think this is just charades? Ken Bell asked me a long time ago, says, what are we going to be doing in heaven? I said, we're going to be perfecting what we've been practicing every hour on Sunday throughout our life. We're going to be worshiping the living God. And some of you who have a hard time with that are not going to have a hard time then. You're not going to feel self-conscious. You're not going to feel like, I don't know how to worship God. At that moment when we sit before God, you are going to see that. I will never forget, and forgive me for not asking permission to say this, Richard, but I was talking with Bill, Richard's brother, when his father passed away, A.W., and we were at the funeral home, and as we were watching people come in and, and give condolences to the family and the loss of A.W. The, the one thing that I, I thought was amazing was Bill and I were standing off to the side and he looked at me and he said, you know, it's going to be glorious. I said, "I'm like, we're at a funeral and he's thinking glory. I'm thinking, what are you talking about, Bill? He says, all of our lives, we have been taught from the word of God that there's coming a day when there's going to be a resurrection and all those who have fallen asleep are going to be raised and we're going to see them. It's just too good to believe. And you could see it in Bill's face. You could hear it in his voice. He was getting the, the taste of the glory of God and his promises. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who that believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the first time in a funeral I wanted to say, Glory! <laughs> Glory! Glory! This is our God we worship. The most amazing thing is David, as he heard this glimpse of heaven and this glimpse of the glory of God and the majesty and the majestic power that he brings into our lives, he finally comes down to the last stanza of the singing and he says, he says, I want you to remember this. He says that we do this business of worshiping God and praising and of being attentive to what God has spoken because not only is he stronger than anything in this world, not only is he more powerful than anything we can attribute as being strong, that this God who has come in the form of Jesus Christ who threw his great power over death by raising him from the dead and is now ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father, this Jesus is now Lord enthroned in the heavens. I had people ask me all the time, well, why doesn't Jesus come back soon? Because he still wants people to come to believe in him he is still calling the church to proclaim Christ in the gospel so that those who are the elect will finally come into the fold. Did you all know that? If you go in the book of Revelation, you will find a book there that every name of everyone who will ever believe in Jesus is written in this book. And the only reason Jesus hasn't come back is there's still a name that, is net, that has not been told about the gospel. Now, if that's not an incentive to go out and tell people about the love of Christ, what is? Did you know that was the motivation of this church in 1900 when they sent missionaries to Korea the and China? You know what's happening today? The Korean Presbyterians are sending missionaries to the United States. Did you know that? The last verses. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. What is this about? Why does he bring this as an ending of his sermon? Or I should say the ending of his song. It's simply this. We are to remember that our God is stronger than the mountains, can break the strongest tree, can overcome the greatest obstacles that he has done for us in Jesus Christ, what we could not do for ourselves in such measure that we are sovereignly and completely his in his reign over our lives so that no matter what chaos, the flood, no matter what floods our life, he's enthroned as king forever. because of that that passage that we have memorized from the heidelberg catechism what is my only hope in life and in death my only hope in life and in death is that i long that i belong in body and in soul not to myself but i belong to jesus christ who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil and that without the will of god Not a hair can fall from my head. Let me tell you, that preaches to a bald man. And that from now on, he wholeheartedly makes me ready to live for him. This is why we sing, people. We don't sing to entertain ourselves. We sing because of the majestic power God. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, as we we take this time, we, we call upon you to hear us as we acknowledge, as we acknowledge you as our God. We would like to think. We chose you, but the truth is in the Scriptures it teaches us you chose us from the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight, not because of any good thing that we have done, but because of the work of Christ done for us through the cross. And that when you raised Christ from the dead, you raised us to the new life of the Spirit, that you gave to us gifts and callings that are solely and completely left to those who believe in your Son. And so we ascribe and we acknowledge that you, God, as you speak, your word is true. That as you lead us in your word, we will submit to you. And where we find it difficult to do so, we will cry out, asking that your power and your might might lead us in the way of everlasting life. And for that reason, we can say, our God reigns. And the people of God said together, Amen. amen.